uh, Genesis 3 does not say that the serpent is Satan. It doesn't say that the serpent is associated with Satan. As a matter of fact, Genesis, nowhere in the book of Genesis is Satan mentioned, at least not explicitly. All I could see was this light coming in. The Holy Spirit went. It blew into me. I have never been the same since then. That was it. I'm done. I was born again. Welcome to the Weird Christian Podcast. I am your host, Samuel Delgado, and this is episode 72. I interview Ryan E. Stokes about his book, The Satan, How God's Executor Became the Enemy. We talk about the difference between the Satan we see in the Old Testament versus the New. We talk about whether or not the serpent we see in the garden is Satan, the fall of Satan, and much more. So with no further ado, let's get weird. Welcome to the show. Um, why don't we just start out just bringing a little bit about yourself uh, and how this uh, this book came about. Yeah, Samuel, thanks for having me on. I've been telling my friends uh, uh, leading up to this that, that, that uh, this interview that I'm going to be on a podcast called The Weird Christian Podcast. So I feel mm-hmm. like I've arrived as a as a scholar and Christian educator. I'm, I'm talking I'm talking with a with a group of folks uh, who's actually interested in what I'm doing. So, oh, sweet. so, uh, so, so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, cool. so, so I, I uh, probably like a lot of the folks you've had on, uh, not everyone, but but I've uh, grown up in a, in a Christian home, uh, Christian parents, uh, and, and made a profession of faith at a very early age, but really didn't get serious about my faith and about my walk with God and, and until I uh, entered college. And through the, the ministry of Camp Crusade for Christ, I guess it's called Crew now, uh, that dates myself a bit to, to call it Campus Crusade for Christ, but but uh, I, I began really pursuing uh, a, a life that that pleases God and since to call the ministry. Uh, I, I wasn't sure what kind of ministry to enter, though. I, I I didn't think I was called to be a pastor or a missionary, and and no one was affirming that God had called me to be a music minister. Uh, hmm. So, so I, I was trying to to figure out what. Uh, what God might have me do, and and uh, my junior year in college, I took a class on the life and teachings of the Apostle Paul, and, and just fell in love with it. I had no idea that that uh, it was possible to study the Bible in an academic setting, uh, and that that even a career slash ministry uh, teaching the Bible in that setting was possible. And, and from there, hmm. I went to graduate school, and and and, uh, and and now I teach at Carson Newman University, and I'm really excited to 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 get paid uh, to think about the Bible and, and write about the Bible and teach students about the Bible and just help people understand some of the things that I'm trying to understand myself. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, I think I I can't remember how, how this episode came about, but I think I actually purposely looked for a, a book on on Satan, and I only noticed a couple. So I think, and um, in, in you've written a really academic, um, scholarly work, so I think that's pretty unique. How did this book come about? Yeah, this book actually began a decade ago as uh, as my dissertation uh, when I was working on my PhD at Yale University. And uh, I, initially, I wanted to write about the story of fallen angels that 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 appears in a number of early Jewish texts. I I did a PhD in Old Testament. Uh, but uh, but I was very interested in New Testament as well, and ended up specializing in some of the literature that's not in the Bible that's sort of bridges the gap between the Old and New Testaments. 
uh, and I was looking into the story of the fallen angels and how Jewish people living around the time of the New Testament and the, the centuries just prior to that, how they were using this story to explain why there's evil in the world. Uh, and, and as mm. I looked into the story, what I really came to learn was that most of the conversation in early Judaism about why evil exists uh, has to do with Satan, demons, and evil spirits, more, more so than about fallen angels. All right, guys. So at this point in the interview, unfortunately, I was having some technical issues on my end, and I got about eight minutes of audio that I just wasn't able to use. So I want to go ahead and just catch you up on what we discussed during those eight minutes uh, so that uh, this interview makes sense. So uh, I did ask him uh, about Satan in the Old Testament, and he uh, it's his understanding that we see Satan two times in Job 1 and 2 and then in Zephaniah. And when we jump to the New Testament, we see Satan mentioned in 19 of the 27 books. So there's a big discrepancy between uh, Satan's mentions in the Old Testament, um, which is a large, much larger than Satan's mentions in the New Testament. Uh, and essentially he saw the role of Satan in the Old Testament as God's executioner. And so I asked him about the role of Satan in the New Testament and he was describing how sometimes we, we still see him playing that same role of, uh, you know, an, an executioner that we saw in the Old Testament. So an example of that was Paul's thorn in the flesh. And I believe that's where we are at this point in the interview. Uh, who's been sent by God to keep him uh, from becoming haughty or puffed up or, or something like, like that. So you have Satan serving this way in the Old Testament. More frequently, however, in the Old Testament, you have Satan... Uh, who's leading people to sin, which you don't really have, uh, or in the New Testament, you have Satan leading people to sin, which you don't really have in the Old Testament. Uh, you have Satan who's working against Christ, uh, who, who leads Judas to betray Christ, uh, and, and uh, is working against the Apostle Paul. Uh, and so he's opposing Christ, he's opposing God, and he's causing people to sin. He's, he's described less in terms of, of someone who's working for God, although we do have that in some passages, uh, but more frequently he's described as someone who's at odds with God. Yeah, so in, that was one of my big questions because, especially with Job, you know, we see Satan, you know, accusing, and we see Satan doing the punishing, but it's, um, it's really at, at God's... Uh, Suggestions, almost like he he has a job, um, you know, who 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 can I accuse? And and God says, well, you know, how about how about Job? So there's certainly uh, a feeling that uh, there's some some accusation, but it, it's not necessarily like this is a character that's gone completely rogue. It's that's like a, a opposed to God, and then so that's where the confusion comes. And we get to the the New Testament. And we have this, you know, this character that seems to uh, to be opposed, where there's this uh, total opposition to. So, do you see this as um, as perhaps someone else stepping into this role, someone in this role that's evolved or changed? Um, so, I guess what I'm getting at is uh, how do we remedy that uh, distinction? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there, there's definitely some tension there. 
you have these passages in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament where, where Satan seems to be taking orders from God, uh, even accomplishing God's will, uh, accomplishing things that are good by punishing the wicked or helping the righteous not become wicked. Uh, and then you have other times where he's trying to get people to become wicked and he's, he's in rebellion against God. And the New Testament even says that, that Satan is going to be thrown in the lake of fire. That's, that's not what happens to someone who's just doing their job serving God. You do that, you go to the lake of fire because you've rebelled against God. And uh, so how, how do we reconcile those two things? Um, rather, I, I suppose that it's possible that Satan evolved that's not the way I conceive of it. I, I think that people's thinking about Satan evolved or, or people, the way people understood Satan seemed to change over time. And we have lots of examples of this happening in, in the Bible or ideas uh, developing over time. Uh, for instance, the Old Testament talks about a coming Messiah, but what the Old Testament doesn't say is the Messiah is actually going to come twice. He's going to come once and die for people, then he's going to go back to heaven, then he's going to come again and, and, and finish the work. Uh, but we learned that in the New Testament. And I say that, or I think that, that uh, it may be helpful to think of what the Bible says about Satan similarly, and that the Old Testament gives us kind of one, one side of the coin. The New Testament gives us perhaps uh, another, another piece of the puzzle or, or several more pieces of the puzzle. And, and so rather than saying that Satan changed well, I, I, get, I suppose I can answer this uh, question in two ways. As a historian, what I would say uh, is that it's not that Satan changed, but people's thinking about Satan changed over time. Now, as a theologian, the way I put that all together is rather than saying that Satan himself changed, what I would say is that Satan is a complex character, that, that both are, are true. Uh, Satan is one who, in certain respects, has a role to play in God's government. And, and takes orders from God and accomplishes what God has, has uh, told Satan to accomplish. Uh, but in other respects, Satan is in rebellion against God. Uh, now, how exactly those things relate to each other and how to sort that all out, uh, I'm not sure that the Bible makes that clear to me. Uh, mm. But I think the Bible does give us both of those, both of those perspectives. And in my own theology, I try to try to hold both of those perspectives, even though it requires holding them in a certain amount of tension. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. Um, because, um, you know, we don't really have any, any real indication that there's a, a change, um, in, in his like allegiance or anything like that. So, um, uh, you know, it, it's hard for both of those things to be true, but if we do see that him as a complex character, a character who has authority, of course, any authority would have to be, and and that's kind of where the rubber meets the road, where if, you, if your theology says that, that he's not under God's authority, then, then we're having to reconcile um, God's sovereignty and his providence. So, it kind of becomes an issue where we put Satan at equal footing with God, where he's this, um, you know, equally uh, opposed character, as opposed to someone who's under God's authority. Uh, and of course, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's um, not opposed, right? So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I sort of think about Joseph and, you know, him looking back at his journey 
after his brothers had met up with him in Egypt, and you know it was clear that they had meant something for for bad, but it God had meant it for good, and so those things are seen to be in complete opposition, where someone's intentions are are bad, but somehow God can use it for good, and and so perhaps Satan um, could be used in 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 that way. Um, is that uh, is that is that a correct way of thinking about that? Yeah, I think that's a helpful comparison. That that uh, it, it's certainly possible that God could manipulate Satan so that uh, not not manipulate in a negative sense, but God can use uh, something that Satan intends for evil, and, and God can accomplish good with that. Uh, I might even go. I, I suppose I would go beyond that and say that Satan even does what God tells him to do at times. It's not always Satan is working against God and God works it out uh, so that it turns out well. It's, sometimes Satan is doing exactly what God tells him to do. Uh, and, and uh, you know, why Satan does that at times and other times he doesn't, I don't know. Although, you know, that, that's consistent with our experience in real life. I mean, most of us realize hmm. that, that there are very few people in the world who are pure evil. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and aside from Jesus Christ, there's never been a human being who is pure good. And, and so why we would – as, as a matter of fact, when we watch movies and the, the characters are depicted too simplistically, like someone was all, is all good with no flaws or someone is all evil, evil with no redeeming all these, those, those are, are movies or stories that we don't find compelling. We, we enjoy movies where the villains where you can kind of relate to them a certain a – certain, relate, relate to the good guys as well and that, that they, they, they have hang-ups uh, of various sorts. Uh, and so why we would recognize that real life, that reality is this way, and then come to the Bible and expect it to be really simplistic uh, in the way it deals with good and evil, it, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, I, I think that uh, you know, one of the merits of the Bible is that when it deals with complex issues, it deals with these issues in a complex way, and the problem of evil I think is one of those things, and and uh, that that I guess that encourages me that uh, you know I, I appreciate that about the Bible that the Bible is not giving pat answers uh, to complex questions, but but is giving uh, appropriately complex answers, and and one of those complex answers has to do with who Satan is. Yeah, yeah, it's good, and, and you know I think about the cross. You know, you have this. On, on, on one aspect that Satan is, is killing God's son. Uh, so it's very much um, in, in opposition, you know, um, to, to, to do that. It seems like that, that's, a, that's a hateful thing. Um, yet, at the Last Supper, we also see Jesus turn to Judas and say, Go ahead. And do what you need to do, and do it now. Uh, so that's a an example there where he knows what he's planning on doing, but he's he's being obedient to what Jesus is actually telling him to do. Jesus was the one who who was, who was telling him to go and and uh, essentially betray him. So you know you have this sense where you know Satan they they, they wouldn't have done that if they if they knew. Um, you know what would become of Christ's death and His resurrection, and you know His His defeating of, of sin and death. Um, um, but yet, uh, so so there's almost, you know, like Satan was a little bit in the dark there. Um, but yet, 
uh, it, it still was with with within within God's authority uh, for that to happen. Obviously, that was was God's will for Him to to you know crucify His Son uh, uh, in that way. So, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Sure. The, the, uh, the, uh, along those lines, that's a good observation. And along those lines, if you're, and I, I can't, you have to forgive me. I can't remember whether it's it's the temptation story in the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke. So it's either Matthew chapter four or Luke chapter four. Uh, but it says that um, that uh, that the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so, and so they're leading Jesus out in order for the devil to tempt him or the devil to test him. Uh, the Greek is, is ambiguous. The, the Greek word for tempt and test are the same word. Uh, but there you have God's spirit and the devil uh, both with the same uh, goal in mind. Now, the devil uh, hoping that Jesus will sin is different from what the spirit, but, but they were working in coordination to test Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting, and of course that sort of harkens back to the garden. Sort of, you you mention, um, you know, people attribute the serpent as Satan almost uni universally. I mean, that's just almost a given. As you mentioned, when you read uh, Genesis three, they do not um, give the serpent any other title than the serpent. We know he he was wise, cunning. Um, we don't know why he was there. We don't know where he came from. We don't know his purpose. Um, you know, he just was seemingly there, uh, and he played the role of, of the one to, to say, "Hey, you know, how about how about this fruit that that, that God said you couldn't have?" Um, now, obviously, going once again back to the sovereignty of God, we know, uh, you know, we don't have any record of him sending Satan, but we obviously know that that he was allowed to be in there you know perhaps perhaps it was adam's role to to remove the serpent uh you know from the garden or you know, wherever wherever they were we don't even we don't even know if they were at the tree um of course it's always depicted that way but um we really there's very little detail to get there i think most people uh i guess it's what it's uh revelation 12 it refers to um satan as as the serpent so <clears throat> again uh, in light of that scripture, is it is it wrong to think of the serpent in Genesis three as Satan? Um, so why 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 or not why or why not? Sorry. Yeah, that's that's a uh, is is not as simple of a question as you might think it is. It's not as simple of a question as I I used to think it was my, myself. Um, uh, so, as I said, and as you said so well, uh, Genesis 3 does not say that the serpent is Satan. It doesn't say that the serpent is associated with Satan. As a matter of fact, Genesis, nowhere in the book of Genesis is Satan mentioned, at least not explicitly. The earliest text that we have that connects Satan with the serpent, there's actually a couple of possibilities. One of them could be Romans 16. Uh, where, where Paul tells the church in Rome that God will soon crush Satan uh, under their feet. And perhaps that's an allusion to Genesis 3, where the seed of the woman will strike the head of the serpent. Uh, but that's debated. It, it, it's, it's an allusion at best. It, there's, a, there's a psalm that it could refer to as well, rather than Genesis, or it could be both. So we don't know for sure. Uh, when we come to, to Revelation 12, it refers to Satan as the ancient serpent. And that could also be a reference to Genesis 3. Uh, the, the, the issues, I think, that complicate the question uh, are, are, one, 
there are lots of ancient serpents. Well, maybe maybe there are not lots, but there are more than one ancient serpent. So the Old Testament mm-hmm. talks about Leviathan, for instance. Uh, the Old Testament talks about Rahab, and 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 Satan in in, in Revelation 12 is described as a, as a great dragon, which sounds kind of like those figures more so than the serpent. Sure. Three. On the other hand, uh, in Revelation 12, you have this serpent who's leading the world astray, or the deceiver of the world. And that sounds kind of like the serpent of Genesis 3. So there may be more than one serpent uh, that John has in mind uh, in the book of Revelation when he describes Satan as the ancient serpent. Uh, The other thing that complicates uh, this question is John, in, in the book of Revelation, often uses Old Testament images to describe contemporary problems or contemporary issues that he that he uh, and his churches are are facing for instance uh, in the book of revelation rome is called babylon mm-hmm. uh, and he refers to a false teacher in some of the churches as, as jezebel this this yeah. wicked queen from from ancient israel uh, and so when he calls satan the ancient serpent is he saying by the way in genesis 3 that was satan or is he just using this image of this serpent that deceives humankind uh, to describe what Satan is doing in his churches. Or or perhaps it's both. Uh, So this really is a complicated question. Now, if I I take off my historian's hat or or I add to that the theologian's hat where I try to make sense of it all uh, as a Christian, it certainly makes a lot of sense to me. If Satan is that great enemy of God and the deceiver of the world that we have in the New Testament, and I believe that he is, then it would make complete sense to me uh, for him to have been involved in what happened in, in the garden with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, them taking the fruit and, and disobeying God and, and all of these problems that that created. That would make complete sense to me. So if you ask me, is it possible to identify that serpent as Satan or, or to associate that serpent with Satan? I, I, I certainly think that it is. And, and I think that's probably the case because that makes so much sense to me. But to find a place in the Bible which says that explicitly, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that's a little little trickier to do. Yeah, um, yeah, it's really interesting because I, I had heard that before um, about you know uh, John just making an illusion, and it's funny when you when the story is retold, uh, everyone puts intentions uh, upon the snake, but when you read the story. They don't really describe the snake in a negative way. They actually describe it in a positive way. Uh, it's kind of weird when you just read what it, what it says. Of course, there's the punishment that follows, uh, and then there's the the whole issue of uh, Eve's offspring uh, and the serpent's offspring. So um, there's a lot there, but it's a uh, it, it, it's interesting to think about because um, in one sense. Uh, there's a, ten- a tendency to, you know, blame all the evils of the world on Satan. And individually, we can do that ourselves and say, well, Satan made me do it, or Satan's tempting me, and it's the devil. Um, and uh, the other, I guess the other extreme there is just to say, uh, well, you know, that there, there really is no, is no Satan. Um, but, uh, you know, clearly we see bulk of the responsibility fall on on Adam, uh, but there, there's certainly punishment for the ser- serpent too, so it's, it's really interesting. I want to ask you, um, I guess from here, I want to ask you a, a 
about the fall of Satan, uh, most people, um, of course, when you know, if again, if we attribute the serpent to uh, or Satan to the serpent, the question here is why all of a sudden is is Satan already in the garden and already having this plot to bring about sin and, and destroy this this world that uh, that God has created. So people typically say, well, this fall must have happened prior. And so you, you, you get things like the gap theory. And a lot of this is, I think, drawn from Isaiah 14. Now, you mentioned Satan in Job and Zephaniah. You did not mention Isaiah 14. Another Another passage people go to Ezekiel 28, and they say those are par <clears throat> parallel passages. Um, and of course, we talked about Revelation uh, 12. Um, but uh, so do you, you know, with the with the war uh, in heaven and a third of the angels falling. So, um, what's your, I guess, uh, your philosophy or your theology on the fall of Satan? Sure, uh, I, I suppose the. And, and this is a, a great question, and one that I get from, from students a lot, uh, and I've presented on this uh, at, at academic conferences. Um, the, the answer to this question depends on what you mean by fall. Uh, the Testament, in two passages, uh, refers to a sort of fall of Satan. However, in both of those passages, that that fall seems to refer to Satan's defeat by Christ rather than to Satan's origin story, like where, where Satan went bad to begin with. Uh, so so uh, in the Gospel of Luke, and I think it's Luke 18, and I apologize, I don't have the, the, the reference on the top of my mind, uh, but uh, Luke 18, uh, Jesus's followers come back from, from preaching the kingdom of God, and they say, even the demons obey us. And Jesus says, Yes, I saw Satan falling like lightning. And then he tells him, you know, be even more excited that, that your name is written in, in, in heaven rather than, than that, that, that you have authority over demons. But there Jesus saying, I saw Satan, he, he's, he's not just mentioning an irrelevant past where he happened to see Satan kicked out of heaven. He's referring to the fact that his disciples are taking part with him in the defeat of the forces of Satan. Uh, Revelation 12 is the other passage that we've already mentioned, but, but that's a passage where there's a battle in heaven. You have Michael uh, and my, the angels associated with Michael on, on one side of the fight. You have Satan and, and other angels on the other side of the fight. And at the end of that battle, it says that Satan, uh, there's no longer any place for him in, hate, in, 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 in heaven. So he and his angels are cast out. And then what it goes on to explain in Revelation 12 is that Satan was defeated by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the, the testimony of Christians. So that instance of Satan being evicted or cast out of heaven, uh, falling from heaven, is not something that happened back in the distant past before Genesis 1 or between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 or something like that. Uh, that's something that happened because of Christ's blood. Uh, mm. Satan is defeated yeah. by what Christ did and by what Christ's followers uh, did. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that, that that's really exciting. Um, you know, especially you mentioned that passage uh, in Luke, Jesus referring to the the fall of Satan. Um, you know, sometimes people read into that like, 
oh, um, you know, now, 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 now Satan's here, um, so, like, it, he has maybe more ability to torment and, and, and do more damage and more evil, uh, amongst us here, um, so I want to ask about uh, Isaiah 14. You know, we we have a reference to to Lucifer, and that's almost a synonymous term with Satan. So, do you see Isaiah 14? I guess I'll throw Ezekiel 28, since most people see that. Well, a lot of people see that as a parallel passages. Uh, would you see these as references uh, to Satan? Uh, I do not. I'm glad you came back to this because I didn't mention that. You mentioned those before, and I didn't mention those in my previous answer. So I'm glad you came back to this. Uh, I do not see those as Satan. Again, those passages do not mention Satan or the Satan or devil or, or any any of the words that are typically associated with, with Satan. Uh, both of those passages, uh, what they say explicitly is that those passages are about certain human kings. So Isaiah 14 is an oracle against the king of Babylon and describes the king of Babylon as, as a fallen star. And, and that's what Isaiah... 14 uh, refers, that's where we get the word Lucifer. The Hebrew is Halel ben Shahar, which means something like bright one, son of the dawn, shining one, son of the, it, referring to a star, uh, and this star has fallen from heaven. And this is a, a pretty typical uh, image uh, in the ancient Near East, uh, and, and also an image that's more than once in the Bible of, of someone falling from heaven like a star. And, and, and so he says, this is what's happened with the king of Babylon. He, he was a pretty spectacular person, but because of his sin, because of his pride in particular, uh, he's fallen uh, like a like a star has fallen to the earth. Uh, when we come to the book of Ezekiel, I, I think this is a really interesting one. This is is not about the king of Babylon, but the king of Tyre, uh, and here it describes the king of Tyre as someone who was in the garden of God, who was in Eden. Uh, and was perfect and blameless, and then because of his transgression, was cast off of God's mountain or cast out of Eden. And when we read that, you, you can understand why people would think of, of Satan, but I think what's going on here is it's comparing the king of Tyre to Adam, who was in Eden and was perfect and blameless, but then because of his sin, uh, was evicted from the garden. So that's a story we definitely have uh, in the Bible about Adam sinning and being cast away from God's presence and out of paradise. And so I think what's going on in Ezekiel 28 is it's comparing the king of Tyre to Adam. Yeah, and actually, I actually like that. And the reason why I like that is because uh, the original audience, that, you know, they're clearly making a, an illusion there. Um, as you mentioned, they're, they're talking about the you know, king of Tyre, prince of Tyre, um, uh, but they're making an illusion to if it's Adam, a familiar story. Now, if it's Satan, we're making an, an allusion to a story that's unknown, right? That, that would be like an introduction to a, a story um, of Satan. Um, so it makes more sense to say, we're going to compare this person to Adam, who we know fell in the garden, as opposed to say, we're going to compare this person to this new character, um, and so it, it, it just kind of doesn't make sense if, if we think about it in that sense, right? If, we, if we've never heard of Satan's origin story or his fall, why would we make allusion to it? Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I also favor that interpretation for that reason.
Um, okay. So does Satan uh, tempt us personally, um, or, or does, saying, does saying that elevate him to like an omnipresent status? Yeah, this is another question that I often get. You know, is Satan omnipresent? Another one that's similar is, is you know, can can he read our minds? You know, is, is he does he have some of these powers that we typically associate with God alone? God is omnipresent. God is not limited uh, in location to one place geographically. He, he's he's everywhere at one time. God knows our thoughts. Uh, you know, we don't have to say or do something for God to know that we're thinking about it. Uh, now, is Satan? similar and the bible really doesn't say um you know, you know what, what is satan's nature i suppose that may be a more fundamental question what kind of person is satan and you're absolutely right that satan is not god's equal he's not like the evil version of god uh in job it seems to imply that satan is one of the the so-called sons of god uh the these divine beings who are inferior to god uh sons of God are elsewhere referred to as angels, so perhaps we can call Satan an angel, although there, the Bible never says that Satan is an angel, interestingly, or even a fallen angel. It just refers to, to Satan. Uh, the closest we get to finding out what exactly Satan is is in Job, where it implies that he's a, a son of God, and perhaps that's the same thing as an angel. Um, and, and so we don't have any evidence that angels are omnipresent. Uh, I can't think of any passage that implies angels can read our thoughts, and so so if I had to guess, again, the Bible doesn't say, the Bible doesn't clearly say Satan is omnipresent or Satan is not omnipresent or Satan can read our thoughts or can't. The Bible doesn't say, but but if I had to guess uh, based on what the Bible does say about Satan, I, I, I don't think that Satan can read our thoughts or that he's uh, omnipresent. What I would say is, is Satan has has people working for him. He has these fallen angels or, or these demons or evil spirits who are, are working for him. And, and, and I think we can also assume based on what the Bible says that Satan's very good at what he does. Uh, so, so he's, um, even if he can't read our thoughts or can't be in, in a number of places at one time, that doesn't mean that he can't, uh, he can't be very influential and, and he, he's not very clever and, and, and able to, to create problems for us. Um, you know, he, he, he may not be able to read our thoughts, but he, he, he's been around a while and he knows what humans are, are thinking, uh, generally speaking, and, and um, based on experience and based on, on his, his wisdom, I suppose. Um, and even if he can't be in all of these places at one time, that doesn't mean his influence can't be uh, in multiple places at one time. Yeah, it actually leads me to another question because oftentimes people will read Le uh, Revelation 12 and so they, they read that we have a, you know, a, a fall of Satan and then essentially a third of the angels that follow him. So now he has this army of angels. Um, so does Satan have uh, an army of angels or, or demons? Um, and, uh, you know, if so, um, what, uh, I guess, what, uh, are they all angels or some of these demons like, uh, just dead people, um, you know, I guess I'll throw in, you know, Book of Enoch, some people, you know, refer to it as a, a demon as, a, I guess, the dead Nephilim, or Nephilim. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I guess that, that, that's my question is, uh, does, does, uh, does Satan have an army, and if so, who occupies this army? Yeah, yeah, the, the, um, 
this, this is uh, one of those questions that, that often people assume that they know the answer to this. So Satan has this, this army of, of uh, fallen angels, and fallen angels are the same thing as demons. Uh, and, and actually, the Bible doesn't say, uh, doesn't answer all of those questions, I should say. Uh, the Bible does say in, in multiple passages that Satan has a, a group of angels associated with him. Uh, the Bible also says that Satan has spirits or, or demons uh, that, that, that are associated him, with him as well. And so it may be that th these passages are talking about the same folks, that the, the, the angels associated with Satan, they're the same ones as the demons or the spirits. But the Bible never says, says that demons are fallen angels or, or that, that evil spirits are fallen angels or anything like that. It doesn't say that Satan is a demon or Satan is something else. Uh, than a demon. Uh, we, we don't really know. One of the things I do in my book is, is in nearly every chapter when I come to a, to a new piece of literature, whether it's the, the Old Testament or whether it's some of the Dead Sea Scrolls or some of the other books between the Old and New Testament or, or some of the New Testament books themselves, I talk about the different terms uh, that these books use for these these. Uh, supernatural beings like you know this book talks about demons how does this book understand demons this book talks about evil spirits how does it understand evil spirits and satan and 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 other sorts of things and uh the bible never says that a fallen angel is the same thing as a demon now there were early jewish texts that implied this and so it could be that when we read the new testament that they have this same understanding of who demons are, who fallen angels are, but the Bible itself never says. So it's just kind of a guess. And, and I suppose as a Christian, I can say, well, the New Testament authors may have thought that demons and fallen angels were the same thing, but they never say that. Uh, and so it's not part of the Bible. So it's not something that I can be confident one way or another that, that that's the case. Yeah, and you might have already answered this, this next question, as you mentioned, uh, Satan being an angel. Now, I think Ezekiel 28 refers to uh, this character as a cherub. Um, we see cherub um, over the the ark um, in the tabernacle and in the temple uh, surrounding God's throne. We see a cherub placed uh, outside of the garden to guard it. So do you see, uh, I guess I'll ask two questions here. Is can we safely assign um, a, a title or the character of, of cherubim or seraphim to Satan? And uh, I guess part of that was a question. Is, is cherubim and seraphim, are these titles or are these actual creatures? Yeah, and I, I'm actually, uh, one of the things I'm, I'm working on today is, is I'm creating my, my syllabi for my upcoming classes Um and uh, and one of my classes is going to be is called angels, demons, deities, and devils. And and one of the things we're going to look at are the different categories of of divine beings or angelic beings in the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about seraphs and cherubs and angels and these other other characters. Interestingly, nowhere in the Bible does it say that a cherub is an angel or that a seraph is an angel. We we sometimes lump all of these things together. Uh, but it's not clear that the biblical authors did that. An angel, when an angel is described, it's typically someone who, who has sort of uh, a human-like form, at least when we, when we have the physical appearance described. Uh, and it's, it's sort of a messenger being someone who's acting as a messenger on God's behalf, uh, perhaps even God uh, himself delivering a message. 
uh, cherubs and seraphs are slightly different. Cherubs and seraphs are are these beings that are, are in God's presence. Uh, cherubs are associated with God's throne. Uh, in, in Ezekiel, you have these cherubs or cherubim. If you heard the word cherubim, that's just the Hebrew way of making uh, cherub plural. Uh, same with, thing with seraphim. Seraphim is, is just means seraphs, more than one seraph. Uh, uh, you have cherubs in, in Ezekiel, and they're these these things with with four wings and four faces, and 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 they're these creatures that are in God's presence, God's guardians. They they move God's chariot or God's throne uh, around by flying, and there's wheels, these strange wheels that are associated with them as well. Um, that seems to be what a cherub is, according to Ezekiel. I I don't think that the biblical authors would have conceived of Satan as a cherub. Now, Ezekiel 28, when it talks about a cherub there, I think it's still talking about Adam. Uh, you know, maybe it's saying that Adam was more glorious at one time than he eventually was when he, when he was cast out of the garden, or maybe it's just speaking of Adam's existence hyperbolically, talking about how glorious Adam's, uh, you know, how good Adam had it in the garden before he sinned. Um, the one place where Satan is described is, where, where Satan's category seems to be implied is in the book of Job, where you have all of the sons of God. In Hebrew, it's B'nai Elohim, or divine beings. The, the, they're, they're not on the same level as God. They're, they're under God and, and, and their power and authority, uh, and they serve God, and they're called sons of God. Uh, and in Job 1 and 2, both, it says that there was a day when all of the sons of God were gathered together uh, to present themselves to God. And Satan was among them. Uh, and, and I think the implication there uh, is that Satan is one of these, these sons of God. Now, what is a son of God? Maybe the son of God is an angel. In some texts, you know, to complicate this question further, uh, sometimes you have different texts that are using the same words in different ways. So, so one book of the Bible may use the expression son of God to mean to mean divine being that's under God. Another Another book of the Bible may use son of God to mean angel, uh, and, and different books may use the, 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 the word angel in different ways. But you do have in Daniel uh, the assumption that a son of God and an angel is the same thing. This would be uh, Daniel 6, uh, which is a story familiar to folks who grew up in, in church and went to Sunday school and heard the story of Daniel and in uh no, I'm sorry. This is this is Daniel three, not Daniel six. Uh, Daniel, it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, where, where where King Nebuchadnezzar throws the three uh, Hebrews into the fiery furnace. But then he looks down there and he sees four in there. And he says one of them looks like a son of God. Uh, and just a few verses after that, Nebuchadnezzar says, "God sent His angel to protect you." So. For Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, a son of God and an angel is the same thing. Hmm. If that's, if that's for Job, does that mean that, that uh, Job conceives of Satan as an angel? Hmm. Uh, all right, cool. Yeah, I was. Um, I almost had an understanding uh, from, from reading Ezekiel 28 uh, and seeing, I, I guess I always attributed that cherub as, as a title for. For Adam, as he was like supposed to to guard uh, the the garden, and of course, I guess both things could be true that that uh, cherub would be a title, and then also describing a, a creature that that would be doing that action. So I mean, they're not necessarily mutually excuse, ex exclusive. Um, 
here's another question. I'm sure you get this as well. But uh, there's a verse in Hebrews that seems to uh, allude to Satan as having the ability to shape shift, uh, as he can appear as an angel of light. I believe that's in Hebrews. Um, do you think he has the ability to to shape shift or or change his appearance? Yeah, that's a, that's that's a, really a great question. I'm a little, little. My memory's a little foggy when it comes to where exactly that is. I, it seems like I'm thinking of that as, as one of the Corinthian letters, maybe Second Corinthians. But, 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 but I know what you're talking about. Even the uh, talking about uh, even the, the Satan, even Satan has the uh, will will disguise himself as an angel of light, and, and maybe the the author of the book telling telling the church that they should expect Satan's servants also to to pretend to be good good guys and, and deceive them. Uh, so yeah, so can Satan shape shift? Uh, yeah, is that a matter of shape shifting, or is you know what 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 does Satan look like if you see him? You know, he he he. Um, you have a, a a description of a Satan, not the Satan, but a Satan. Actually, the word Satan occurs several times in the Old Testament, but it's not always referring to the Satan. Uh, the word Satan in the Old Testament just means something like attacker or executioner. At least I argue that uh, uh, there are folks who, who translate it differently, but that's that's what I do. Uh, and you have this figure in Numbers 22. And Numbers 22 is, is another really interesting story where you have the um, a sorcerer or a, a, a prophet Balaam who's going to curse Israel, and this angel uh, stands in his way, and Balaam's riding on a donkey but doesn't see the angel. Uh, and and the donkey goes around the angel, and eventually uh, Balaam sees the angel, and, and, and it's just an angel standing there with a sword, and it's and, and this angel, it's actually the angel of the Lord, so 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 uh, a pretty important figure in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord says, "I've come out as a Satan against you." Now, not that he's the Satan, but it's the angel of the Lord saying, "I've come out to attack you. I've come out to harm you, to kill you." And then he even says, "You know, if your donkey hadn't turned aside for me, I would have killed you just now." Uh, and, and so in that passage, a Satan is like an angelic figure holding a sword. So, so my guess is if, if you know, someone in the Bible, if they were to, to think of what it would be like to see Satan, they would think of seeing some sort of angelic figure holding a sword. And, and so this person could appear to say, you know, is this person shiny? Is this person big and strong? What is this person? Well, we don't know. Does Satan wear white or is he wearing something else? We really don't know. So if Satan were to disguise himself as an angel of light, would that involve shape-shifting or would that be, be kind of putting his sword behind his back and, 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 or just saying, hey, I'm a good guy, not a bad guy? And uh, we don't know, but, but in some way, uh, Satan could pretend to be someone uh, that he, he was, was, was not, and whether that involves shape-shifting or, or simply uh, hiding his identity in some other sense, it's, it's not clear. Hmm. Yeah, I ask like some people will then read that and say, okay, the snake in the garden is Satan, and he's just appearing as a snake. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want to go back to the garden, but uh, now I, mean, I won't do that. But uh, you know, if someone says I'm going to be the devil for Halloween, it's a, it's a red guy with horns, a tail, and usually a pitchfork. Uh, where did that imagery come from? Yeah, and, and to answer this question is probably going to require me to go outside of where I'm really, really know what I'm talking about. 
uh, some of these aspects come from the Bible. Not that it says Satan looks like that, but in Revelation, Satan is a red dragon. Hmm. Uh, so, so the color red is already something that we have in the Bible associated with Satan. Now, Revelation is probably not saying, by the way, this is what Satan really looks like. He's red, but it's using mm -hmm. these images uh, to communicate in, in a very powerful way some theological truth. And, and uh, so it's not really saying that Satan is red. It also says that the dragon has horns, I believe, or at least maybe, maybe it's the beast who's associated with, with Satan who has horns, or, or maybe both. I apologize. Uh, the, the passage isn't fresh in my mind. But, but, uh, but so some of these images have their origins in the, old, in, in the Bible, even though the Bible isn't saying that Satan really looks like this. Uh, but most of this thinking would come from later, uh, uh, later, later Christian um, theological imagination about who Satan might be. Uh, some of these images also have origins in ancient Near Eastern texts, where there would be um, demons or other other superhuman figures who could appear in the forms of animals or might wield weapons other than a sword. And, and so, so some of these things have very ancient roots. But, but it was much later that Christians actually said Satan looks like this. Uh, normally, it's, it's uh, Milton's Paradise Lost that gets credited with popularizing uh, a lot of these ideas that have come to be, uh, be uh, part of the, the standard stock of what people think Satan is. Uh, but but much later than the actual biblical period. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, at some point uh, it becomes a part of just artwork, and I think of you know you probably say the same thing about uh, angels being depicted as you know babies with wings. But uh, this will be my last question: uh, Is is uh, Satan responsible for the evil in the world? Yeah, I guess that's the main question we need to answer, right? Uh, or, or, or what what evil is Satan responsible for, and in what way, and 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 how can we defend ourselves? Um, and um, yeah, there. When I read the Bible, and it's the same when I read other other ancient texts, there are lots of different evils in the world, and different evils have different explanations, and and, and some of the same evils can have different explanations. I think there was a was a Calvin and Hobbes comic years ago that I saw where, where uh, maybe, maybe Calvin is saying to, to Hobbes, uh, you know, do you believe in Satan, this all-powerful villain who's responsible for all the evil in the world and humankind's wickedness? And Hobbes says, well, I don't think humans need the help. Uh, and the point is, we're, we're of a great deal of weak, wickedness apart from any goading from anyone outside of us. And I think that's absolutely true. Um, uh, I don't blame Satan for everything that's wrong in the world. I do believe in Satan. I should say this, uh, just to clarify, I do believe in Satan. I like Jesus uh, and, and uh, Satan is the enemy. I don't hold Satan responsible for everything that's wrong with the world, however. I, I know my own heart. Uh, I, I know uh, that, that I can do evil, uh, and I can be a perpetrator of evil, and I can be a victim of evil. evil. And, and I believe that Satan and, and Satan's forces are at work in the world, and they are responsible for some of it. Uh, I also believe that there are other forces at work in the world, uh, human forces uh, and otherwise, who, who uh, 
th that are responsible for for evil. Now, how I can tell the difference between the two, I don't know that that that's something that we know. Uh, I don't know that humans can say, well, this is definitely something that's caused by Satan rather than me just rebelling uh, because of the own uh, wicked desire that's in my own heart or the own own uh, my own inability to to recognize the truth. Um, what it says in, in Ephesians, though, is is you you defend yourself against this by putting on the armor of God, and, and I believe it's the shield of faith uh, that uh, that you know extinguishes uh, the the fiery darts uh, of uh, the devil. Um, I also see the book of James where it says if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you, and and uh, so there's some some strength that's gained, some protection that's gained by resisting the devil. Where uh, you know the devil will leave us alone uh, if we resist him, and and so th that's what I would say about uh, maybe that's the application point. I believe that the devil is responsible for some evil in the world, but we're not defenseless against it. And then of course there's God who can protect us from this evil, even apart from uh, any decisions on our part, one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, I like that, um, and I think. Uh, you know, throughout Scripture, we, we see that uh, we are responsible for for our own actions. Um, and I know, you know, whether you attribute uh, the the serpent in the garden to Satan or not, certainly uh, it was Eve who blamed the certain serpent, Adam, that blamed Eve and God. And so it's our tendency to sort of push off responsibility and the devil's just kind of an easy target. Um, it's just, I guess the old adage, the devil made me do it. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly we don't want to, um, uh, I, I guess we don't want to underestimate uh, Satan, but we, we certainly don't want to uh, give him more credit uh, than he's due. Um, and of course, as Christians, um, you know, as you mentioned, you mentioned the, the verse in James, but you know, we we have we do have the Holy Spirit. We have the armor um, uh, that Ephesians talks about. Uh, so it, you know, we we're, we're not in a position where we're uh, helpless. We're it's quite the opposite. So uh, that's encouraging. Um, all right, I'll uh, I'll thank you for for coming on. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I hope uh, the listener did too. Uh, so I'll give you the opportunity to kind of tell us uh, any closing thoughts. Tell us where uh, someone can uh, pick up the book to read for themselves, uh, and then you can close this out in prayer. Yeah, yeah. Closing thoughts. Um, you know, pursue God with all your heart. I would say, um, do your best to read the Bible for what it says. Uh, and not read read our own ideas into it. That's that's kind of what I've made a career out of trying to do is, is to get better and better at reading what the Bible actually says rather than what I think it says or would like for it to say. Uh, and uh, it's really not about Satan. It's about God and, and about God's son, Jesus Christ. Uh, as far as finding my work, uh, the, my book, uh, which is called The Satan, How God's Executioner Became the Enemy, uh, it's published by Erdman's. You can purchase it directly from the, the, the publisher, Erdman's, E-E-R-D-M-A-N-S, to ease beginning. Uh, and, of course, it's available on Amazon, and, and it's normally on sale with Amazon. Uh, uh, but buy it wherever you can get it the cheapest. Uh, it's the same book either way. Um, and uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you want to close this out in prayer? Absolutely. Absolutely.
uh, God, I thank you for Samuel and, and the Weird Christian Podcast and, and uh, his efforts to to help people think through uh, their faith and, and perhaps through some of the aspects of their faith that that are maybe they're on the fringes or, or may, maybe maybe they, sh- they shouldn't be on the fringes or or, or they're, they're things for whatever reasons that we don't talk about as much. And, and so I, I pray that you would bless him as he seeks to help people think better about uh, about your word and about your truth and to help them to be more faithful to you. And, and I pray for all the listeners as well, that they would find you as they look for you uh, and, and that you would, you would bless them in their lives. Um, we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with somebody you know. And with that being said, we'll catch you on the next one.